invite you to turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of John. John chapter 10. And our focus today will be on verses 11 to 15. John 10, verses 11 to 15. We're looking at one of the most prevalent images given in Scripture for God's people. And that is the flock. The flock. God's people are frequently described as sheep. And God is frequently described as the shepherd of his people, the sheep. And God sets over his people under shepherds, leaders, to provide direction and guidance for them. And the Lord Jesus here in these verses says in verse 10 that he came to give life, to give life, to give life to the fullest possible extent, abundant, everlasting life, overflowing life. And because that is the message of Jesus, that is to be the message of his church, his flock, his people. That this shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who gives life. And Jesus says, I'm also the door. There's no other way to have access to this life than through me. That must be the church's message. That's the gospel. That's the good news. However distorted it might become by human sinfulness, that is, always has been, and ever will be the church's true message. We worship and follow a Lord who came to give life. When we move into verse 11 and following, we're seeing what he has done to give this life. And we're seeing just how desperate we are to have this life. We need this. Above every other need we might have, we need this life. And the church needs this life. And the church needs to know what our Lord has done to give us this life. And the church needs to continually remind herself of the one who is the good shepherd. He came to give life. And the life he gives, he can protect and sustain. And here's why we need this life so desperately. It's because whether we want to acknowledge it or not, life in this world is fragile. It is short. And it is uncertain. Life in this world is fragile, short, and uncertain. Don't believe me? Just look at how your life can be rocked by one visit to the doctor's office. One day, everything is going as you had planned, and then, bam, some news, a feeling Something happens and it radically and forever alters your life. 
That's the nature of life in this world. Like it or not. But, in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ, this one who claims to be the door for the sheep, the one who claims to be the good shepherd, life can be indestructible, eternal, and sure. Is that the kind of life that you know? That no matter what news you get at the doctor's office, no matter what happens to this loved one, no matter what happens to your physical body, this life, the life that he gives and only he gives, is indestructible and eternal and sure. Do you have that life? Are you clinging to this life? Are you growing in this life or not? Let's read together, beginning at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's bear down on our predicament as sheep in this world. It's no coincidence that Jesus compares us to sheep. Here's, here's what we need to know about sheep. We all, like sheep, are desperately vulnerable creatures. We all, like sheep, are desperately vulnerable creatures. We don't like to admit this, we don't like to acknowledge this, but we are desperately vulnerable, just like sheep. The sheep that Jesus is describing here are not, not your rams living in the wild, in the mountains. These are domesticated sheep, completely and entirely dependent on someone else to provide food, to provide shelter, to care for them when they're afflicted by sickness or disease, as they inevitably will be. Sheep are desperately vulnerable. And this vulnerability takes the form of this dependence. They need someone else to care for them, to provide for them, to show them where the food is, to show them where the water is. That's you and that's me. And this is by God's design. This isn't a result of sin. This is by God's design. God has made you and made me to be finite creatures. He ha has made us with hunger and thirst and bodily cravings. All by his design. But what sin does 
is it tempts us to believe that maybe we're not dependent. Maybe we can be independent. Maybe we can satisfy our cravings and our urges on our own. Maybe we don't need God. Maybe we can look elsewhere. Maybe if we just if we wander far enough, if we try this path or that path, if we go over this mountain or we go down in this valley, maybe there we can find life and we won't need God. We'll be completely independent, completely self-satisfied, completely self-sufficient. And consequently, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And this only doubles our predicament and the danger of our predicament because not only are we finite creatures by God's design, now we've wandered away from him. We've wandered away from the source of life. We're desperate. We're vulnerable. That's you and that's me. We're dependent. Dependent. We think we can satisfy our longings and the desires of our hearts with anything but God. We're dependent. But this vulnerability also takes the form of being defenseless. Defenseless. And the enemy is described here as a wolf. A wolf. Sometimes our boys like to bring home books from the library entitled, Who Would Win? And it's a series of books, right? And it really appeals to the curiosity of of young children, and, and they'll have, say, who would win? Grizzly bear versus polar bear. Who would win? Falcon or hawk? Who would win? Lion or tiger? But I have yet to see one that says, who would win? Wolf or sheep? Right? That wouldn't be a very interesting book, would it? We don't even need to open that book to know the outcome. Well, this is you and this is me. There are wolves that intend to prey on isolated, vulnerable, and defenseless sheep. Like you and like me. That happens every day. It happens all the time. And while our ultimate enemy is Satan, the tempter, he works through the power of sin in other people. And this is important because we think, well, of course, if I come face-to-face with Satan, I'm not going to give in. That's not how he works. He works through people. He works through ordinary daily circumstances to lead us astray, to get us off the path, to lead us to believe that we could be happier away from God to lead us to think, you don't need church. That's just something that people invented a long time ago to enforce good moral behavior, right? It's just something that people came up with because we're all scared to die. And so it's just something that people invented. You don't need that. You're better off on your own. You don't need to be a part of a a body of believers you don't need the scriptures. We've, we've progressed beyond all that. We're better than that now. We're liberated from that. 
And that is the voice of our enemy. We're defenseless like sheep, desperate and vulnerable. But so often people in the church think of the wolves as out there, the big bad world. And, and this is somehow a, a, a space that is removed from all of that. We're safe and protected in here, right? We're, we, we, can, we can be comfortable. We can let our guard down here. Jesus says otherwise. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, he says this. Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Then he changes the metaphor. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Of course not. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So what's he saying? He's saying the wolves aren't just out there somewhere. They're in here and they look like sheep. They sound like sheep. And this is how the deceiver traps us. He uses the lie, oh, they claim to be a Christian. Oh, they talk about Jesus all the time. Oh, they quote the Bible. Of course they're one of us. Careful. Careful. Jesus says the wolves, the wolves that want to prey on the sheep, look like sheep. Has that hit home for you? Every church, no matter how healthy, no matter how wholesome, no matter how thriving, is not a pure church. There is no such thing as a pure, visible church. There is an invisible church that includes the redeemed of all the ages, and that is a pure church. But the visible church, the church that that shows up in a form like Tabernacle Baptist Church at 8304 Leesville Road, this is not a pure church and it never will be. So we cannot afford to let our guard down. We must be constantly alert to the truth. We need to be continually asking ourselves, is this person speaking truthfully? Never mind that they seem like a sheep. Never mind that they claim to be a sheep. What kind of fruit is evident in their life? Well, the Apostle Paul adds to this teaching in Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the elders, the pastors in the church of Ephesus, and he's letting them know, this is it. This is the last sermon I'm ever going to deliver to you, and here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know, and these would be good words for us to consider as well. He tells the pastors, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, And don't miss this. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth 
in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So the wolf, the the wolves that want to prey on God's people, they show up like sheep and where else does the danger arise? From the pulpit. He says, from your own number, pastors, elders, overseers, from among you, people will step forward. And what do they do? They distort the truth, and why do they do it? In order to draw away disciples after them. Surely the pulpit's a sacred space. I mean, I mean that person is a pastor. We can, we can trust what they say, right? Careful. Be on your guard. Just because someone has reverend in front of their name, Just because someone opens a Bible and preaches a sermon, so to speak. No, God's people, the sheep, need to be discerning. You need to be listening. You need to be continually evaluating is what he is saying consistent with God's truth or not. We cannot afford to be naive. We cannot afford to be naive. There are savage, ferocious wolves that want to destroy the church. But here's why we struggle with this so much. Their whole goal is to draw people away. And we are so prone to look for success in numbers, are we not? Obviously, A church that size has got to be blessed. Obviously, they're preaching the truth. Oh, no, they're not. Not necessarily. Evaluate the message. Because this is what the wolves do. They want to draw people. And so they will say anything, they will do anything to get more people. Now, do we want to reach as many people as possible with the gospel? Absolutely. That's our great commission but never at the expense of the message we've been commissioned to proclaim. So what do we watch out for, these wolves? How do they distort the truth to try to get more people? Be alert to anyone who says, oh, you don't really have to believe that part of the Bible. God didn't really say that part. Just kind of disregard that. Or uh, it doesn't really mean what it says. It doesn't really mean what it says. No, we can kind of do some gymnastics here. We We can kind of twist that out so that we're all comfortable with that. Right? Be alert to anyone who just wants your attention, who just wants your presence, who will say anything, do anything, who is pragmatically driven only. What works? What will get more people? Because every time that happens, people end up selling out the gospel. 
And remember, we're sheep. We're vulnerable. We're defenseless against this. So who will rescue us? Well, one alternative is to look to the hired hand. Verse 12. And Jesus says, we cannot trust the hired hand who runs for his life. We cannot trust the hired hand who runs for his life. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And he runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. He's just there for a paycheck. He's just there for what he can get out of them. He just wants their fleece, maybe. The hired hand cannot be trusted to protect you from the wolves. And in a way, I think this may be even more urgent and more dangerous for the church to hear today. Because in our efforts to be the church, in our efforts to remain faithful to the Good Shepherd, we are so prone to give our loyalty, to give our attention to people who claim to be able to help the church, to make the church more prosperous. And I hope it's not news to you that this especially happens about every four years in this country when the politicians come around and they start trying to garner our votes and they say, oh, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. If you vote for me, you're voting for Jesus. You're voting for the church. And we are suckers for it. Suckers for it. We think that the hired hand is going to save us. He can't. He won't. He'll run when the wolves come. He has no personal investment in you or in the church. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. But oh, how the sheep are so prone to worship at the altar of politics. We have a a serious idolatry problem in this country. And it's infected the church. It's infected all of us. Don't believe it? Ask yourself. Do you spend more time watching reading, thinking about social and political issues? Do you spend more time doing that than you do in God's word? Do you spend more time arguing about political issues and social issues than you do sharing the gospel with someone? Do you give more attention to the talking heads whose whole goal is to get you outraged about whatever the latest thing is. That's what they want to do. They're marketing grievances. They're marketing outrage. They want you to be upset. They want you to be rattled. And we're suckers for it every time. That's the hired hand. You can't trust the hired hand. They just want to get something from you. They're not personally invested in who you are. They're not personally invested in your well-being. 
They don't really care about Jesus. They just want to use Jesus. They just want to use the name of the good shepherd. We can't fall for this trap. But it's not just animate hired hands. We also give our hearts and our minds to inanimate hired hands. Stuff. We love our stuff, don't we? And oh, how we think the stuff will make us happier. And that's what all the marketing, and there's going to be a lot of marketing in the next couple of months, that's what they want you to think. Buy this. Go here. Do this. Be a part of this. Think this way. And you'll be happier. And maybe you will be. But it'll wear off. It won't last. It can't protect you from the wolves. But we need to be aware that as sheep, there is this herd mentality. This temptation to go where the majority is going. Oh, everybody else is going that way. There must be green grass over there. I'll follow them. The sheep who know the good shepherd cannot afford to do that. We cannot afford to do that. We cannot be afraid of being left behind by the herd. We cannot be afraid of standing on our principles when nobody else believes in that anymore. We cannot give up on the voice of our good shepherd even when no one else cares what he says. can't trust the hired hand. Who can we trust? The good shepherd. We can trust the good shepherd who lays down his life. He doesn't run for his life like the hired hand when the troubles come. He lays down his life on behalf of the sheep. The word behind for for the sheep. On behalf of the sheep, he lays down his life. Here's why you can trust him. You can trust him to be good because this is a shepherd who knows exactly what it feels like to be a vulnerable sheep. He assumed human nature. There is no disease. There is no affliction. There is no danger. There is no temptation that he has not already felt himself. And yet, unlike us, he never wandered away from his father. He knows what it means to be a sheep. He knows what it means to hear the voice of Caesar. And and to feel the pull and the draw to get caught up in whatever happens to be the political talk of the day. And yet, he remained laser-focused on what is of eternal significance. But he knows your vulnerability. You can trust him because he's been there. He's done that. He's felt that. And you can trust him because he said to the wolf, before you take any of my sheep, you've got to get past my dead body. 
over my dead body, says the good shepherd. Will you take any of my sheep? He knows the growl of the wolf. He knows just how ferocious he is, how savage he is, and he faced him down. Not for faithful little sheep, but for sheep who have wandered. For sheep who have said, we can do better than this. And he stands in between to face down the wolf. And he wrestles with the wolf on the cross. The wolf does his worst to kill him, to destroy him. But the power of sin, the power of death, could not contain him. It could not conquer him. He stands over the wolf. And he says, follow me. I'm not scared of this wolf. He'll try to come for you, yes. You'll get scared, yes. But if you follow me, you don't have to fear him. You don't have to fear death itself. Follow me. Over my dead body will any of my sheep be lost. The Good Shepherd is personally invested in the well-being of his sheep, his flock. And when he went to the cross, when he absorbed in his body the penalty that we all deserve, as we read in Isaiah 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Your sins and my sins were laid upon Him. And when He did that, He didn't just die for fill in the blank. He didn't just make salvation available to the world. He did do that. But He accomplished salvation for His people. Those whom the Father gave Him. It's done. It's finished. The wolf cannot do anything to these sheep. And if you hear his voice today, if you trust him and you say, I'm not going to listen to the hired hand anymore. I'm going to trust the good shepherd. I believe that when he was on the cross, he was thinking of me. As he was ridiculed and scorned and mocked and whipped and pierced naked, he was thinking of me. That's how good the good shepherd is. And if you hear his voice, if you follow him, if you trust him, if you confess Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are one of his sheep. And there is so much security in that. Eternal security in that. To know, Jesus says, over my dead body will anyone take one of my sheep. Over my dead body will anyone destroy my church. As he says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you have that confidence do we have that confidence in the Good Shepherd? 
Don't put your confidence in me. Don't put your confidence in any other human being. Put your trust in Jesus, the good shepherd, and you will never be disappointed because he will never let you down. And so we face two alternatives. You and I face two alternatives today. On the one hand, we can suffer the consequences of our ongoing earthly vulnerability. Or we can enjoy eternal security in him, in his life. He's laid down his life. He's given his life for the sheep. Which are you living right now? Are you feeling vulnerable? Weak? Is there any evidence of abundant life in you? Or are you enjoying eternal security so that you know whatever this life brings, no matter what sickness, no matter what affliction, no matter what hardship comes your way, your life has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You belong to Him. And there is no one and there is nothing that can snatch you out of His hand. Do you know that security? I pray that you would today. I pray that you would. You can count on him. You can trust him. He's not another hired hand. He's proven it with his life, his dead body, that is now alive and ready to forgive you and pardon you and pour out his grace upon you so that you can enjoy this security. Now someone says, okay, that all sounds good. I kind of want to believe that, but where is he now? Okay, you say he can protect his sheep from the wolves. Where is he now? Where is this security? Where is this protection? Look at this table. Look at your cup. The juice, the bread. Those elements may be ridiculed and scorned by the world. You put your trust in that. But for those who know the voice of the Good Shepherd, for those who know they have been purchased by His blood, for those who know they belong to His redeemed family, His redeemed flock, this is a sacred promise. He says, as often as you take this, as often as you come to this table, as often as you eat these elements, you're proclaiming my death until I return. This is a sacred promise right here. So you can turn away, try to find more sustenance elsewhere, more green pasture. The grass is always greener, isn't it? Or you can say what he has done. He has done for me. And I will never get over it. And I will never forsake him because he knows his sheep. I know him. There is a personal intimacy. An intimacy that reflects heaven just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Oh, the joy of knowing someone who perfectly understands you. Who never misunderstands you. Who knows your deepest, darkest secrets, the things you don't want anybody to know, the things you've thought that you don't want anyone to know. 
He knows it all. And still, his heart goes out to you. He sees these are people like sheep without a shepherd. His compassion reaches out. He knows all that. He knows your dirty laundry. And still, he comes and he says, I came to give you life. Do you know that life? Are you enjoying this intimacy, this personal relationship that's mirrored in heaven? I pray that you would, and I pray that you would grow in it and grow in it and grow in it so that you would trust him more and more every day, so that you would rely on him more and more every day, and so that he would fill you by the power of the Spirit with more and more confidence that what he has done, as symbolized on this table, is sufficient to cover your sins and my sins.